Welcome to Mission Forward, a podcast exploring how big ideas in social change take hold. My name is Carrie Fox, and I'm your host. Listen in as we talk with innovative thinkers, makers, and doers in social change, and we explore how foundations, philanthropists, and corporate and community leaders are challenging business as usual in order to move missions forward in meaningful and memorable ways. We're talking voter suppression with Andrea Miller, founding board member of the Center for Common Ground, and I can think of few more important topics as we near election day. Andrea, I am so honored to be talking with you today. I want you to tell me first a little bit about the Center for Common Ground and your powerful Reclaim the Vote campaign. Thank you so very much for inviting me to join you, Carrie, and your listeners. Center for Common Ground is a relatively new endeavor for us. We founded the 501c3 in 2018 because we had worked on elections since 2016 and in 2017. And we realized not only did we love working with underrepresented voters, which is the term we used for Black, Hispanic, Asian, and Native American voters, but we were also pretty darn good at it. So when we founded Center for Common Ground, what we realized was we did want to continue doing the voter work because when we look at the numbers, the number of people being dumped off the rolls wasn't going down. If anything, it was going up. We ended up creating our campaign, Reclaim Our Vote, because when we were analyzing those numbers, we realized that in many elections that were fairly close, what was missing was the underrepresented vote. So we decided that as progressive people, as people very, very interested in economic and social justice, that if we added the missing underrepresented voters' vote to our vote, that would allow us to reclaim our vote. That's why we didn't name the campaign Reclaim Their Vote. There's really an hour. We are all in this together. I had a chance to hear you speak a few weeks ago as part of a We the Change webinar called Crushing Voter Suppression, and your voice has been in the back of my mind ever since. There's a a few things, quite a few things, actually, you said that really have stuck with me and moved me and and my team to action um, now in support of Reclaim Our Vote. One thing I want to really dig into today, and it's this idea that in the United States, the right to vote is the only right you can lose if you don't use it. And not enough people truly understand this. But thanks in large part to your efforts, that truth is becoming more clear. And, and just as you just touched on, that um, states have figured out how to stop Black, Brown, Hispanic, Asian American, and young people from voting. So, you know, what do you see when you're looking at American politics today and thinking, gosh, you know, are, are we moving in the right direction? Is this campaign going to help us move in the right direction as we are coming into the most important election of our lifetimes? 
I love that question. And the first thing I want to deconstruct is the notion that in America, we have a right to vote. We don't. In America, voting has always been and still is a privilege. When this country was founded, the ability to vote or the right to vote was given to rich, property-owning, white men. If you didn't own property, you weren't voting. If you weren't a man, you weren't voting. Women didn't get the, quote, right to vote. I'm going to say the ability to vote until 1920. And if you were Black, you really weren't voting. So that should help people understand that since voting isn't a right, then states who actually control the mechanisms of voting have been very quick and very skillful at figuring out how to take away people's ability to vote. The thing that so many people well, actually, that most people don't realize is that when you register to vote, you are not guaranteed that you will be registered for the rest of your life. When you register to vote, if you do not consistently vote, you will lose your ability to vote. No one explains that to you when you register to vote. No one says, thank you for registering to vote. Now, make sure you vote, because if you miss a certain number of elections, we are going to dump you off the roll. That is a fact. That is our truth. Powerful. Uh, and and so... Um so much a call to, to arms and call to action as we are sitting here, right? This is going to be airing at the end of September and we need to get everyone to hear this message and act on it. And, you know, I'm thinking one not need look very hard to find an example of voter suppression. They are, they are all throughout American history. We are going to find them um, without much searching, but I've got on my mind these days, Stacey Abrams and thinking back to her gubernatorial race of 2018, thinking to those five and six hour long voting uh, voting lines for people to get to the front to say, you've already voted or you're not eligible to vote. And, and clearly we know the way that that, um, that race turned out. Um, but we also know that this is not about one race. It's not about one state. Um, it's prevalent across the entire country. So I'm curious what you're seeing as we inch closer to this election, where are voters most uh, vulnerable to voter suppression and what can we do about it? Well, we have seen in the primaries, we have seen voters in Milwaukee where more than 100 polling locations were suddenly reduced to five. We have seen voters in Georgia who dutifully requested their vote-by-mail ballot and then never got them. We have seen North Carolina say, even in spite of COVID, well, 
in order to vote by mail, all citizens are, quote, eligible to vote by mail, all voting age citizens, all registered voters. However, you, we are going to require two witnesses. And so because of COVID, they said, well, okay, we're going to require one witness. My concern is always for that older, living alone, rural voter. Where are they going to get a witness? Who is going to witness their signature? So that means they are going to need to go to the polls and vote. The other issue in North Carolina is, and we have actually seen this in Georgia, we've seen it in Texas, we've seen it in so many states where we work, that community of color voters fill out the form, they actually get the ballot, and then all the noise about the post office, they won't put the ballot in the mail. And now we have the problem of what do we do? with a vote-by-mail ballot that now there really isn't time to mail it. All these different states have different rules about what you can do with that ballot. In North Carolina, voters can actually drop the ballot off during early voting, but they're going to have to sign. And in North Carolina, only the voter or an immediate family member, or someone that has been given written authority can drop off that ballot. The rules vary state to state. You almost need a law degree to figure out what you can and what you can't do in some states. We lost 550,000 ballots in the primary because voters made a very, very simple mistake or were actually cheated and their ballot wasn't counted. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the support of my team at Mission Partners. We'll be back after a short break. But first, here's an update from my team. My name is Amira Barre, and I am the Research and Engagement Coordinator at Mission Partners. We believe working towards an anti-racist workplace is a lifelong journey, and one we have centered in our work for many years. That's why we're excited to offer Communicating for Change, a course designed to help you and your team advance your existing racial equity practice by building a toolbox of inclusive and equitable communication skills. After completing this course, your team will be equipped to break down biases and barriers, strengthen internal and external relationships, and challenge the way you currently communicate with each other and your audiences. At Mission Partners, we don't believe we should profit from racial equity work. So we are offering this course at a significantly reduced rate from our normal training rates. Visit mission.partners to learn more. You all have put together a really powerful campaign that has has made it easy for uh, individuals, including every individual listening right now, to take action on this issue. You've been talking about postcarding, phone banking, billboarding. I want you to talk to me about some of those tactics 
And then I want us to talk a little bit about how the message is being delivered, because as a, as a communications prof- professional, I have been tracking and watching so carefully the way that you all are sharing messages and comes back to where we started today, this importance of shifting power um, that I want us to talk about too. But first, let's talk about the tactics and why those tactics are so- We use four tactics. One of them is new in this election, but the other two we've been using to some degree in since 2018. Our oldest tactic that we have been using actually since 2016 is phone banking. We call voters on the telephone and we give them information. We call voters to talk to them about voting. We're not selling candidates. We're not selling parties. We don't care who they vote for. We just want to make certain that they will be able to vote. So when we call voters for get out and vote, we want to make sure that the voters know where they can vote, when they can vote, what ID they need to bring, and do they have a way to get to the polls and back home? So it is our goal to remove whatever barriers people may have had in voting. The other thing that we do with our phone calls is we invite voters who maybe haven't consistently participated in democracy to come back. And I I describe it to our volunteers as think of a community dance. Everybody knows where the dance is. Everybody knows when the dance is. Some people feel like they're just not invited, so they're not going to go. We're inviting people to come back to that dance of democracy. When we called voters in Georgia, or the 2020 June primary, what we found was, you're going to love this number, 82% of the people we called actually showed up and voted. And we leave messages. It didn't matter whether we actually spoke to the voter or we just left the voter a message the percentage turnout was identical. We started postcarding for the very first time in 2019. We sent out about 300,000 postcards. So far in 2020, we have sent 5.4 million postcards to voters about voter registration. Hey, you may no longer be on the voting roll. Please check your voter registration status. And then we help people. This is how you can check online. And if online isn't available to you, here's the phone number of your county registrar. Give them a call. But we know that the postcards work because so many County registrars complained about all the phone calls they were 
getting. We also designed our own line of culturally empowering postcards so that when voters saw those postcards, it was like, wow, what is this? And then they would read it and they would go, what do you mean I might not be registered to vote? I, I want to go check on that. The other type of postcards we do is we experimented with pledge to vote this year in North Carolina. And we asked people, we need you to vote. And not only do we want you to vote, we may need you to help other voters. So share the information we shared with you. Make sure your friends, your families, your neighbors know about this. And then, would you be willing to give other voters a ride to the polls? Again, remember, we are always very, very concerned about older voters because in more rural areas, there is no public transportation. And again, public transportation for older voters really isn't safe in these COVID times. Would you be willing to phone bank? Would you be willing to text? We got more than 2,000 volunteers in North Carolina who said, yeah, I am willing to step up, and not only am I going to vote, I am going to take action to ensure other people vote. Another new tactic that we used in 2019 that we are going to use again this year is we use billboards. In 2019, we were working in the North Carolina 3rd District. That was Congressman Walter Jones' district. He died in office. So they held a special election on September 10th. When we were calling North Carolina 3 to let voters know there's an election coming up, Voters were like, what do you mean there's an election? Walter Jones is our congressman. No, no. Walter Jones was your congressman. The gentleman died. So there's going to be another election. We were, number one, amazed at how many people did not realize there was going to be a special election because their member of Congress had died. The other issue, if you remember, in late August, early September 2019, we had a hurricane and that east coast of North Carolina, which is where the third district is, was heavily impacted. So when we realized voters have no idea there's an election going on, what we did was, and a lot of North Carolina is rural, we bought billboards. Billboards that stood that were mounted 17 feet high, they were 20 feet wide, and as you approach that digital lighted billboard, even at night, you could read the message. We told voters when early voting was, we told voters where early voting was in their county, we gave them the address, we gave them the time it was open, we gave them a website if they were able to use a website about where they could go and find out about their candidates. And we discovered, well, billboards really do work because we had a great turnout for that election that nobody knew was there. Mm. And I want to make a, a shout out there that folks can uh, donate specifically to your billboarding campaign to support those efforts. 
Uh, yes, because last year we ran billboards in one district in one state. This year we are running billboard campaigns in eight states. So it's going to be a lot bigger than it was last year. We also have a campus billboard project where we have billboards on, there were 125 college campuses that opened. We have billboards on all 25 campuses that opened up. And what we're telling our young people, um, our college-age students, millennials and Gen Zers, currently in 2020, make up 37% of the voting age population, 37%. So we are asking our young people, vote your power. You are an incredible, powerful voting bloc. Everybody talked about the baby boomers and what a powerful voting bloc we are and work. Well, our millennials and Gen Zers are about to move into 42 to 47% of the voting bloc in the 2024 election. So we are telling our young people, vote your power now. Get ready, because in four years, it's going to be you. Mm -hmm. So billboards, and then finally, texting. There's this new 21st century paradigm where almost everybody has a cell phone. Well, we tend to not answer numbers that ring on our cell phone that we don't know, but we'll go and immediately look at a text from any number in the universe, whether we have any idea who it is or not. So we built our own custom texting program so that for five of the eight states where we work, and we work in Alabama, Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Texas. Five of those eight states use vote center, where normally the only way to figure out where that vote center is is to go and look it up on the internet. If any of our voters say, oh, I plan to early vote, we can automatically send them their nearest vote center. It's just automatic. Our texting program looks it up and says, here's your closest vote center. We give them the date. We give them the time that it's open. Because even though there may be multiple vote centers available in a county, they're not all open on the same date, nor are they all open at the same time. So again, we want to empower voters so that all they have to do is say, I'm going to go vote on this date. Yep, it's open. I know where it is. I know what ID I have to bring. Um, I've got a way to get there. I'm set. I'm vote ready. You've got another element that you've added into this, I think, in partnership with MSNBC, that it's not just about voting with your power and voting your power, but using your power see something, say something. I want you to talk to us yeah. about that. Well, one of the things that is possibly going to be a new challenge for our um, community of color voters this year is actual physical intimidation and harassment at the polls. I mean, that has never stopped. There's always been 
some isolated incidents of it. Now there's a lot of talk about really encouraging it in communities of color. So say something, say something will allow a voter using their phone, a tablet, uh, their computer when they get home, whatever they have available to them to go to our website and report an election problem. They can put in their name, they can put in their email address, their phone number, they can shoot a short video, they can take a picture. And then when they save it, it automatically posts that onto a map. And we have a nationwide map where we can see what kind of voting problems are voters reporting. Are they reporting intimidation problems? Are they reporting, I went to vote and they didn't have the right people or issues on my ballot. I went to vote and it was ridiculous. The lines were like four hours long. MSNBC will again have see something, say something in their election room. So they will be watching these reports come in and then we monitor them as well. So there may be some that we see where we will immediately flag for MSNBC. You're going to want to get a reporter out there right away. And because we have the name and the contact information of the person who reported it, we can get that to the news people right away. So see something, say something. We've enhanced the 2020 version. You have been fighting to demand action on this issue for a long time, and I am so glad you have. You have made such strides. You and your team have made such strides on this issue. And I know we have a long way to go. As I think about a comment I heard recently, I'd love to get your take on this, that political historian Michael Betchloss recently commented that we are one year away from losing our democracy. That's not a talking head. That's not a commentator. That's a political historian. And I'm curious if that's the future you see too, right? We know the stakes are high. Um, Is there any way from coming back from where we are right now? Yes. I predict along with Rachel Vicover, this will be a banner year for democracy. That voters who had been asleep, who had been thinking, eh, everything's okay, I don't need to vote, eh, I'm not crazy about either one of the candidates, so I'm going to just stay home. And that's what happened in 2016. If we looked at the votes we had for Donald Trump, for Hillary Clinton, the real winner of that election was, I don't like either one of these characters. That was the real winner. So in this election, we are really working to make sure young people know, use your voice, vote your power. You've got an opportunity to change. And why will this be such a possibility for change this year? Because so many people who thought they had it good have learned, oh, I didn't have it as good as I 
thought I did. I don't have my job. And since my health insurance was tied to my job, now I don't have health insurance for me, my family, and my kids. So many people, oh, I thought I had it good. Well, now my kids can't even go to school. There's a lot of people who live in rural America. I'm one of them, and my internet just went out, where we're like, yeah, we live in rural America. We've got a really nice life. But, whoa, we don't really have powerful internet out here. And when the internet just goes, we're just kind of stuck out here. So there are a lot of people now that are looking at the light they imagine they have and coming to grips with the life they really have. And they're going, oh, this is not good. And we can go down path A or we can go down path B. And more people probably than any time in U.S. history are now very starkly aware that path A leads one place and path B leads somewhere else. So I am predicting a banner election. We will be partying from November 3rd, and we're going to need to get back to work at Center Common Ground on November 6th. Because our first order of business on November 6th will be working to pass a constitutional amendment, really making voting a right and not a privilege that we have kind of sort of extended through constitutional amendments. Support you on that. Every every bit of us will support you on that. I want you to uh, give us the last line today. We have a lot of work to do as we sit here in October. Where do we go to learn more, to get involved, and where will you be on Election Day? Ooh, on Election Day, I'm going to answer that question first. On Election Day, I am going to be in my office booking rides to the polls for voters in Virginia. And I will also be supporting people that will be using our tools, booking rides to the polls for voters in other states. Right now, to find out more information and how you can get involved, you can go to our centerforcommonground.org website, and we have a volunteer link there. You can go there. And then I'm going to give you another website. This is a brand new one. Our new website for the campaign is reclaimourvote.org. You can go to reclaimourvote.org and read about what we've done, who the amazing people are on our board of directors who make so much of this possible, and just really learn about us, find out how to get involved. We are doing training every Monday 
teach people how to use our digital phone bank system. We have national phone banks every Tuesday and every Friday. So if you feel more comfortable kind of joining a Zoom and phone banking in a group, we welcome you. We've expanded our Zoom rooms so that one holds 1,000 people, the other one holds 500. This election is make or break or democracy. And we know what side of democracy we're coming down on, and we know what we want to see. So if you are thinking an economic and a just society is where I really want to come down, then please join us. Andrea, I hope at some point you, you find that you have an end to your job. My, my fear is that your, your job will be in high demand for quite a time, oh, quite a long time. But let's hope that that's different after November. Well, um, we, we do have a plan. We are going to be rolling out these things in our target states that we call democracy centers. And what we're going to do in democracy centers is people who uh, consider themselves not involved in politics, we are going to help them re get re-involved and re-engaged with their community. What does your community want? Because so many communities are hurting. We have an economic plan that they will be able to choose in their community that they want to do this. We will make sure they understand why there were all these problems voting and what they are going to need to do to resolve it. I worked on ratifying the Equal Rights Amendment. Well, literally, I've got like 54 years on that thing. But in the last, oh, 10 years or so, I've worked at the state and federal level. Nevada ratified, Illinois ratified, Virginia ratified. So that gives us 38 states. I'd also been involved working at the federal level to get Congress to remove the deadline. So we worked both strategies at once. I got a chance literally to see how powerful state and federal simultaneous strategies are. We are going to become the progressive ally. We will help people in communities understand here is a really good bill that would help your community. You already know how to win elections. Let's teach you how to advocate to get this bill introduced and passed. You can't find people who will support you in passing this bill. Well, like my mother used to say, elections are like a greyhound bus. There will always be another one coming along. In that next election, you're going to need some new candidates. Go elect those new candidates and then come back with your bill. That is what Virginia did in 2019. We had people who told us they were going to support us when we brought our ERA bill to the legislator, legislature. They didn't. We took down not necessarily names, but numbers. How many seats do we need to show power and that we need business? We needed four seats in the House. We went after 20 seats. We needed four. We won eight. We took control of our Senate. 
we took control of our house. If you would look at Virginia in 2015, you would have said, oh, nothing's ever going to happen in that state. They've got 43 house seats where no Democrat will even dare to run. Look at us now, baby. Look at us now. We start early voting, and we never had early voting before. We start early voting on September 18th. We are one of the earliest in the country. We are going to have a parade on September 18th going, look at us now. Yes, there is hope. It is never so dark that you won't have the ability to succeed at what you want. You need to believe you can do it, and then you need to do the work. Andrea Miller with the Center for Common Ground. I so appreciate you giving us some of your time today and uh, want to thank you for setting a path, you and your team, for setting a path for all of us to follow and to act on. And I, and I, uh, I really do mean that. We will be doing quite a bit, have already started our work postcarding in support of Reclaim Our Vote, and we'll uh, be volunteering at the polls this election day as well because of how you've inspired and challenged our team. So I want to thank you for that. I'm going to leave us today with a quote actually from Stacey Abrams. The fundamental power of democracy lies in the right to vote. And if you protect that right, you create possibilities for everything else. Andrea, it was great to talk with you today. Thank you so much. Stay healthy, stay safe. And I look forward to talking with you soon. 